want to welcome you to class 7 of 12 in the one another class. We've started this journey together six lessons ago on this issue today of the default calling to counselors. I haven't said that counseling is evil. I haven't said that it's a sin to call a counselor. I haven't said that that it needs to go away. What we're trying to do is examine why is it so popular? Why is it that everybody, it seems like, is either in counseling or recommending counseling or in counseling-related church programs? Why has it in the last 70, 80 years become the norm? And so I want to start tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to do a little review because I'm an old guy and I need to remember what I've done so far in the class as well. So I'm going to do a little review here in a minute, but I want to start tonight. I want to ask you a question. When someone calls a counselor, do you think the person that makes that call is thinking about, cares about, do you think it matters in their mind about the sufficiency of God's word? What do you think? Based on what you've heard so far in the class and what you know from your experience, do you think that's going through their mind? Anybody, or yeah, anybody. Just talk about believers. We're talking about Christians here. Why do you say maybe, Renee? No. They're going to a Christian. So if they're going to a, a Christian counselor or a biblical counselor, they might be thinking, you know, they're going to get God's word there as opposed to a secular counselor, right? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because as we have talked about, we, we live in a world, Phil in his very excellent class on uh, everyone is a theologian uh, that he's been teaching up here on Wednesdays over the last few weeks, a book by uh, R.C. Sproul. He talked about this current worldview that we are living under, and, and he called it, or Sproul called it, utility ethics, I think was the term. Um, I was thinking of it more as pragmatic ethics, but it's utility. In other words, it we want the results of what is going on. The circumstances, the consequences are what matter to us. We're not making decisions based on values or character ethics. We're making decisions based on circumstantial, pragmatic, utility ethics. If it works, then that's what we want. And I want to tell you, I was many of you follow Piper and get his blog or go to his website. In the last week and week and a half, they had a large discussion. Piper spoke on sexual addiction, and he he made a, he had a pretty direct, really exhortation to believers struggling with sexual addiction. Put it in quotes because we'd have to define that, right? But this broad term, saying, look, the Word of God and, and our relationship with Christ ought to matter with this. And you ought to see the responses from believers, strong believers within his church, within the Reformed faith, on the issue. I mean, you can imagine what they... Well, you don't know what you're talking about, Dr. Piper. You've never struggled with it. Dr. Piper, you don't understand the neurochemical stuff going on in the brain. I mean, you speak out. You're not a doctor. How, how do you know? You're naive, Dr. Piper. You're simplistic. The Bible doesn't have anything to say about that directly. These are believers on his blog constantly barraging him with, and some of them are saying, right on, John, you're doing the right stuff. This is current Come, you know, this is modern day discussion. It goes on in your own churches with your own friends. Well, keep that in mind, my question about sufficiency. I'm going to come back to that. Well, who do we call and why, right? We're starting down this road of that's what the class is about. Do we call one another for help or do we call a counselor? And why do we make one call to another? What are the pressing issues behind the calls we make, the books we read for help, and the programs we attend to get help? 
So let's do a quick review of, of what the foundation beliefs are. And before I give you those beliefs in detail, let me just put up on the board here so you get a 30,000 foot view of where we're going. We're going to come up ultimately with five foundation beliefs. That's what we're aiming toward. We are here on number three right now. Number three has to do with pain. I'm going to read it in a minute. We could have started with pain because that's what we're talking about. Pain strikes, trials strike, difficulties strike, and we react. We call. We call one another. We call a counselor. But I want to start here. I wanted to start here because I wanted to build a foundation with life, which we talked about here, and light and sight here. And I wanted to at least introduce these things, even though now that we're here, we're, we're, we're looking backwards a little bit. That's what we did last time. We, we took pain and we looked back a little bit at Revelation and General Revelation because we're trying to shine some revelatory light on this issue of pain and struggles and, and what's going on. And we're going to linger here for another couple of weeks. We're going to linger here specifically tonight on, on a big issue on it relates to general revelation. So that's where we are. And then, then we'll finish up with points four and five. And then you'll have, hopefully, you'll, have a, you'll be able to answer those questions I send an email out on. Now, how do I engage with people when somebody tells me they're about to go get some meds because they're really anxious and not sleeping at night? or they need some antidepressants, or a variety of other issues that have to do with counseling. And how do we, how do we know how to do it as well? Because I've had two or three of you say, Jim, are you ever tell me how to do this stuff? And yes, may not be the answer you're looking for, but yes. So foundation belief one, a Christian has been given life in Christ. Number two, a Christian has been given light and sight in Christ. And number three, a Christian understands and interprets pain differently in Christ. And so that's where we are today. These were the more detailed um, explanations. I have them in the PowerPoints, and you can look at them. But you know what, we've, what we're basically talking about. Number one had to do with that suke zoe tension. Life in the Son, in Christ compared to life under the sun, okay, and how we're, we live in tension all the time. We're tugged toward horizontal all the time. Fix it, resolve it, take care of it. We're, we're just tugged that way, even though as believers, we should be thinking vertically. But, but we, just, we just, we're not, we're overwhelmed, we're, we're tugged that way. Light and sight has to do with revelation. And we're going to spend more time on that tonight because it's a huge issue as to why we call who we call. Because we want answers, right? That's what we're looking for. And then we introduced this last uh, couple weeks ago or several weeks ago. And I'm going to read this one. Number three, a Christian understands and interprets pain differently in Christ. Generally, we source both pain and remedy from life under the sun. Horizontal. Suke world. However, as we are his children, no pain is allowed without an awareness and movement of the Holy Spirit that drives our eyes and attention to Christ Jesus and the vertical so that we experience a better outcome, the nearness of God. We, as believers, should think differently about pain and trials and suffering. There's a purpose there. Next week, we're going to talk about Job. Okay, it's a long book, 41 chapters, I think. You don't need to read Job for next week. But, but I would spend some time thinking about Job, particularly in the first two or three chapters and the end of Job. And we also did, we looked at some different things. We explored 
building the path around these areas. I'm, I'm not going to get into any of this. I spent some time giving you a little bit of my background. And we looked at some biblical examples of, of, of the tug between Zoe and Suke. We saw that. We see it throughout Scripture. So that's where we've been. Any I mean, I know you have questions, but any just general questions on where we've been so far? So, in very brief, here's the issue. When we pick up the phone, we're motivated by one of two views of life that we're responding to in the moment. We're responding to either life under the sun, which we call that general revelation or suke world, or responding in life in the sun. However, we feel exonerated and have no real tension. Most believers have no tension at all in moving toward that horizontal suke counseling world because all truth is God's truth. Isn't that right? Isn't it? So what do you think? I mean, let's take a look at this. All truth is God's truth. Let's just look at this for a minute. And what does that mean to you? Is it true, first of all? And if it's true, what does it mean? Yes, Joy? God calls himself truth. Yep, that's true. So there's an issue regarding a definition of truth, perhaps. What else? I mean, if somebody were to tell you this, would you disagree with it? This is not a trick question. This is just, I mean, it seems to make sense, right? All truth is God's truth. Is there any truth that's not God's truth? And is there anything at all that doesn't belong to God? Of course not. I mean, it is a true statement in one sense, right? Because everything belongs to God. So whatever it is, under the sun or in the sun belongs to God. So in one sense, it's true. Now, why is it that this question is important to look at more detail? Anybody know from your background of... Uh, anybody do some research on the University of Texas Tower? I threw that in a question. Well, I went to the University of Texas, so I. this is a personal thing. Well, let me show you what's on the University of Texas Tower that was engraved in there, I think, in 1930. Well, let me do that in a minute because obviously I have. The reason this premise is here is, is because of a couple slides I showed you earlier. Denver Seminary. Our courses emphasize that God is the ultimate source of all truth. All truth is God's truth. And that he reveals his divine purpose in scripture. Students are taught to understand scriptural truth through sound exegesis and to seek additional truth through scientific investigation, thoughtful observation, and scholarly research. And then I showed you Dallas Seminary's quote. Dallas Seminary believes in an integrated model of counseling, which integrates... Theology, spiritual formation, and psychology. DTS does not subscribe to the neuthetic viewpoint. Neuthetic being word-based viewpoint. Word-based alone viewpoint. Now, now with, with that in mind, you guys remember, because part of this class is, is to, I want to I make sure you understand what's going on in the counseling world. You've got... This huge world of secular counseling. Remember we talked about that. And then a pretty big sized world of called Christian counseling. And then a little bitty world over here called biblical counseling. And if you remember our slide, this whole world up here was counseling. This is the counseling world. And, and what was the world down here? Anybody remember? Yeah, or, or the body of Christ. Same thing. I thought you were going to say suke, because I know you love that answer. But no, 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 thank you, Robert. So down here is the body of Christ. 
my contention is that, that we get these confused. You know, are we, are we supposed to be doing counseling down here? Well, no. I mean, you want to talk to somebody. No, we should never do that. That's professional stuff that we don't, doesn't belong to us. Or what is counseling? We're trying to define that term. We're going to spend more time on that even. I've already done that a little bit. But up here, this world is what we're talking about tonight. The Christian counseling world. They are proudly and by self-definition, they call themselves integrationists. They integrate truth, could I say, additional truth, Denver Seminary, with biblical truth. So here's the UT Tower engraved on there. In fact, we we read a story about the man who did the engraving on the UT Tower of those words. He didn't realize the significance. They went back and interviewed him. Um, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, what do you think the University of Texas means by that? Anybody? I mean, what do you think a wonderful, somewhat liberal today, but I went there, survived, became a believer on that campus. So that's, there's something good about Austin, right? Praise God. The grace of God. So what in the world do you think they mean make you free from what? Ignorance. Absolutely. Because it's all about education, right? Free from ignorance. Knowledge will make you free. Because we don't want to be slaves to to being ignorant. It it could mean free from poverty, because good education can free you from poverty, maybe, and um, from bigotry, maybe. I mean, there's a lot of high goals for a public institution like that. Well, let's look at John chapter 8. Maybe and look at this verse and maybe, maybe see it in its context, shall we? John chapter 8, but perhaps it'll be wise for us to start before verse 32. I remember seeing that, I remember seeing this on the tower after becoming a Christian my sophomore year. And my first thought, wow, there's a Bible verse on the UT tower, and I got really excited about it. And I went and I, I said, I know, I know it's in the Bible somewhere. I knew, but, and then I went and I started to read and I started to read the verses. And I went, wait a minute. They left something out. So let's look at what they left out. Starting with verse 31 of chapter 8. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does not remain forever. Verse 36, so if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Isn't that beautiful? You think UT is talking about spiritual issues at all with that verse? No. It's possible we haven't found out who decided to put it. could have been a Christian decided to put that verse up there. Thought he could kind of, I, I don't know that story. Is it possible that the integrationist who called truth, truth, additional truth, might be using a similar secular definition of truth that, that the UT Tower is using? Is that possible? That's what we're going to zero in right now and look at. Because I think that's what they're doing. Scripture gives us clarity on what biblical truth is. There are a hundred and, according to Strong's, there's a hundred and ten verses in the New Testament where the word truth is used. Same word, same Greek word. 
45 of them, interestingly enough, nearly half of them are written by the Holy Spirit from the pen of whom do you guess? That's what I thought, Joy. Give me a second guess. John. John. 25 times in the book of John, 15 times in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John, the Apostle John, is the, the Apostle of Truth. Beautiful. So here's just a few of them from John and as well as a couple others. So, therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king, Jesus answered. You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. John 18.37 John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. John 16.13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. The spirit will guide you into truth. John 17.17, sanctifying them in the truth, your word is truth. And there's many more, of course, at the end. John 14:6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, if biblical truth is defined one way, let's, let's take the next three slides are, um, are, are detailed. And I'm going to read them, and I apologize. I've only got... 20-some slides, and I know you're going, gee, Jim, I'm kind of disappointed. But I didn't know how to, a lot of these are for your reference anyway. And when I'm done with these three slides, I'm going to give you a matrix that sort of takes what I'm sharing here and, and, and compares the thoughts to summarize it. So I think if you'll bear with me, because here's, here's the issue. The integrationist. Are, who are dear brothers in, in, in Christ at Denver Seminary and Dallas Seminary. These are brothers in Christ. It is their belief that the truth that they have discovered fits within the umbrella of not special revelation. They know that. That's not, it's not in the Word, but it fits where? In general revelation. Because all truth is God's truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the logic in, you know, this is, this is critical. They will say all truth is God's truth because God made us. He made the world. He gave us skills and knowledge to do research and to study. The Bible doesn't address everything. It doesn't talk about bipolar. We discovered stuff and we we have discovered things about the anthropology of man that's not addressed in the bible under the umbrella of god's general revelation and i think that's wrong and i'm going to try to demonstrate that to you tonight but not just do that but to then help you then kind of take it and think through it from a practical way of how it impacts who we call and why we call. So you tell me if I'm wrong, because let's look at general revelation for a minute. The findings of psychology simply cannot be categorized as general revelation. Biblically defined, general revelation is the universal self-disclosure of God in which he makes himself known to all people everywhere and at all times. God's general revelation of creation and nature is not specific to people at a certain time based on their knowledge. It is general to all people, Christians and non-Christians, by the way, at all times and in all places. And what are some of the specifics of the means? Well, his creation. We've already talked about that. We could read If you want a psalm that lays out general revelation in the first six verses and then 
Special revelation in the rest. Psalm 19 is wonderful for that. God's provision is a, if you want to see God revealing his character and his goodness, he makes the rain to grow crops. He provides. That's a means of general revelation. And and this provision impacts man's conscience. That's from Romans 1. And what does it reveal? Well, his revelation reveals him. It reveals his nature, his character, his glory, his goodness, his power, his law. So it reveals God. The content of this revelation is truth about God. And the outcome, well, it's enough truth about God that non-Christians are held accountable to God from Romans 1. So consider then the true differences between general revelation and how believing institutions, and when I say that, I'm not just talking about Dallas and Denver Seminary, wonderful Christian, but I'm talking about Christian colleges. I'm talking about a lot of um, other, you know, hospitals. How about, you know, you talk about Baylor University. It's a wonderful university, but they're right here. They're in that same arena. How believing institutions create an integration by trying to identify and merge the insights of modern psychology as part of God's disclosure in the created world. So this is the last detailed slide, so bear with me. Number one, these are three specific examples. Um, Modern psychology's insights come through human discovery rather than divine revelation. Do you understand that? It's discovered. It's researched. Because revelation is that which God reveals or discloses to people through specific means, not that which man extracts through his own investigation. The findings of psychologists cannot be considered general revelation. Does that make sense? If you disagree with me, let me know. I mean, it's different. One is revealed. One is researched, studied, discovered, investigated, proved, or as Phil said, data, facts. Number two, in contrast to general revelation criteria of a universal audience all men everywhere at all times the findings of psychology have been discovered and known only by some people in some places at some times being relegated to only certain parts of the world over the last 150 years I mean that's a little different isn't it than GR pardon yes and they change yeah they change there's what 500 different theories of psychology by the way, is 2 plus 2 equal 4? It is, isn't it? Isn't that true? Anybody going to argue that with me? Even my five-year-old grandson, he's brilliant. He knows that now because Karen taught it to him. I, it's a little over my head. Renee could have taught it to him. She's a math teacher. Is that the same kind of truth as Revelation? The answer is no. That's a secular truth. I, I don't mind if you want to call it truth. That's okay. It's, but it's not truth as the Bible defines truth. So we're just not using our words properly, are we? And two plus two will be four for a long time. We're not just talking about psychology here. You'll see that on my next slide. Science with the scientific method, delivers things that are true. It's glad to know about gravity. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know that. Because we shouldn't jump off a 20-story building. It, it's not wise. We have truth from the scientific world that has told us we shouldn't do that. We have truth that tells us how far we can go underneath the water before we're going to lose our breath. And we, we have knowledge there. Knowledge, it's good. God gives us that. Number three, 
In contrast to general revelation, which exclusively communicates truth about the nature and character of God, the findings of secular psychologists focused exclusively on the nature of man and his relationships with other human beings. Now, it's true. Biblical counselors and many Christian counselors spend time talking about God also. Don't get me wrong. But their focus is on resolving these issues. Because I don't know anybody who goes to see a counselor to get spiritual insight only. I need to go see a counselor because I just... I I feel like I'm drifting away from God and I need some spiritual help to get myself into the word and some spiritual support. You're thinking about a Christian friend or a pastor for that, right? You're not thinking about spiritual only. This in itself precludes the possibility of categorizing psychological insights as general revelation. And a wonderful author, Robert Thomas writes, any efforts to widen the scope of general revelation to include information or theories about aspects of creation, man, or anything else besides God do not have support from the Bible. That is a great quote. So, yes, sir. That's right. No, they're not all truth. There's different truths. Thank you. Stan, what I'm saying is, they're different, um, and we're gonna we're gonna let's see if this see if this clarifies it. The matrix, because that's all. I, I threw a lot to at you on those three slides. General revelation, special uh, and science and psychology. I put science and psychology in there for a reason. I'm not anti-science. I'm grateful for science. I'm not anti-psychology. I just want us to define our terms here. So what's the source of, of science and psychology? Well, it's from the research of man, man's research. General revelation, the source is from God. What's the content of science and psychology? Hypotheses and conclusions. That's broad. Even psychologists start with hypotheses. They do tests, and they come up with conclusions. In the scientific world, it's much more rigorous, right? What's the content of general revelation? Nature, the created world and order, the conscience. How do we measure science and psychology? Well, secular truth. To answer your question, Stan. Two plus two is four. Repeatable, observable, and validated by men. Nothing wrong with that. Grateful for that. Secular truth is truth, but it's not the same truth as divine truth. It's, it's different. But integrationists want them to be the same, and they're just not. What's the purpose of science and psychology? Well, this is more psychology. The study of the emotional and behavioral characteristics of an individual group or activity. That's Straight from the psychologist's world. What's the purpose of GR? To reveal the nature of God. What's the extent of science and psychology? Limited and specific, discovered and known only by some people in some places at some times. GR, all-inclusive, all humanity, brought in its information about God. And what's the weight How do we weigh it? How significant is it? Well, it's derived. It's derived. It's studied. It's examined and tested for trustworthiness. We want to do that, don't we? I mean, we want a doctor who's studied and is trustworthy. We want a dentist that's... I mean, we're not anti-science here. You hear that all the time from the integrationists. Oh, you're just anti-science. You just don't... I mean, I hear that. I've had Dallas Seminary counseling people in my classes in the last few years. Well, Jim, are you saying you're anti-science? No. Grateful for science. Well, you're just anti-psychology. No. Psychology is the study of men by men. 
some interesting stuff you can learn in psychology. But just don't call it revelation, okay? Don't call it truth. Don't give it anywhere near the weight of truth, even the same category of truth as biblical truth. I mean, GR is self-authenticating. It doesn't have to be discovered at all. Non-discoverable, as Phil's talking about some of the communicable and incommunicable attributes in his class. I mean, <laughs> well, that's another very good point, Robert. But they would say that. That's, that's a big debate. And, and you know what? What's, what's helped me with this matrix is it's okay. Let them wrestle with it. Because the best they're going to come up with is secular truth. Regardless, you see how you see how even thinking about this kind of takes the tension of science and it just sets it aside. It does it doesn't really matter ultimately because it's it's the you know it God gives us minds. I mean, we're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about knowledge and learning and academics and and credentials and we're going to spend a little more time on that. I mean, you know, knowledge and Reason and how does all that fit in all of this too? And how do we make sense of that relative to that's more of a special revelation versus that stuff, isn't it? But tonight, I, I, I want you to just be able. I mean, I want you to be able to and, and think about these things. For example, what what do we have to what's what do we ultimately do here? I could add one here. What's our response? Well, our response to this would be to examine it for trustworthiness, wouldn't we? We'd really want to look at the scientific data, interview the doctor, weigh the results for the cancer treatment, look at the um, look at the side effects of the drug you're about to take. I mean, you're you're gonna weigh it for trustworthiness, aren't you? How do you respond to GR? Believe. That's what Phil said. You believe. Trust and obey. That's right? Like in in terms of down here, another one experience, or just a big category up here? Oh, instead of science, psychology, just experience? Oh, instead of the word truth here. Instead of this word truth? Well, um, I put it in quotes because the world uses it. University of Texas Tower uses it that way. Integrationists use it that way, so I, I'm okay with using the word truth. I, it, it's, you know, that that seems two plus two is four. It's true. It, it's more validated, or experience isn't the trouble with experience, Phil. I think it's it's good, but experience doesn't have the rigor of what the scientists would want to support on their on their research. They're going to say, well, this is more than experience. We know now. That water freezes at whatever. I mean, technically, they have only validatable observations. That's so exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 right. I mean, and, and and certainly we've seen that through the course. And will two plus two equal five sometime? I I don't know. You know, but but see, instead of the the reason I don't mind putting it here is we can get in a big discussion. I think your point's good. It could be experience, and that's ultimately what we're saying. It's validation. It's, but I'm willing to use the word. I just don't want them to use the word the way the scriptures use the word. I, I, I don't want them, you know, and, and you'll see at the very, I just want us to be, I mean, are we, are we being true to the word of God here? Or are we starting with our presuppositions and then bringing our viewpoints in to support so with, with that in mind, you know, what would be a better statement than this? I mean, from what you've learned tonight, all truth, you know, God's truth. It's all commingled. That's right. So so it's not truth. So that statement, but that statement by itself doesn't really help you with it. So let's come up. So what would you think would be a better statement? If you were going to say, if you wanted to say, if somebody comes up to you and says, well, hey, Tom, all truth is God's truth. And, you, and Tom would say, well, yes, but let me, let me give you a better way of saying that. So how would you say it? 
all biblical truth, maybe? Pardon? Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to, you, I'm just, I, I've got, you know, I just see if anybody comes up with my answer, which of course is the right answer, of course, uh, but I, I, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just an alternative answer I'm going to suggest. All right. Well, I, I'll reveal truth. I think having revealed in there, that's good. And and the, anything else? It's, what is, what's the nature? Of, what what is biblical truth about? As we looked at some of those verses, when Scripture uses truth, what's it? Yeah, it's about it's about uh, it's about the nature of God in that sense. Joy about his his nature, or righteousness. It's about. Uh, um, well, here's what I recommend. Here's a different definition, which is what all biblical truth, to your point, we're not talking about secular truth here. All biblical truth is revealed in God. I am the way, the truth. So it's in him and in his word. Biblical truth is found in God and in his word, period, it's revealed. Now, yes, absolutely. He said he would discover a, a, a under, under general, well, go ahead, you expand on what you said, if that was good. Yep. But what Stan's brought up is a good point. So, if you have, um, you have general revelation, okay? Creation, the nature. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, for example, who's studying plants and, and, and birds and all. Now, that general revelation is available to believers and non-believers, right? But don't we as Christians bring our own Christian worldview as we look at general revelation? So we wake up in the morning and we see that sun coming up and we go, oh, wow, the glory of God. I mean, we interpret it. Our observations and our conclusions are based on a Christian worldview. But those observations and those interpretations and what we see and what we find and what we discover are still not revelation. They're just observations and truth and interesting information and science and discovery and research by Christians with a Christian worldview. And so Christians may find and discover secular truth in ways that because of a biblical worldview that we might find more trustworthy than a non-Christian, perhaps. I mean, I think I'd rather go to a Christian surgeon than a non-Christian surgeon because I think I trust that he's... I mean, we think like that. That, that What we don't want to do is, is get that confused, though, with what... Truth is, from a revelation point of view, in terms of the weightiness of it. Because, because people are thinking they're going to go get a counselor because of what? You know, they're going to go get a counselor because they're going to get answers, right? They're going to have somebody who has wisdom, knowledge, Targeted information, they're going to go to a marriage counselor because he's trained on marriage issues. They're going to go to a child behavioral specialist because they've spent their training and got their Ph.D. in behavioral psychology for children. They have the experience. They have the knowledge. They have the training. They have truth that you want. Now, is there anything wrong with that? I mean, think about it. That's right. It's totally different. It's not truth. And as long as we understand that, if you're going because you're making a decision because my kid is just, you know, he's out of control and, and I'm going to put him on meds and go because I, I, I want to control that. That's a decision you make, right? It may have nothing to do with spiritual issues at all. I just, I, I want it fixed. Okay? You're going to go to a, a Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and dry out. Are you going to get knowledge of the gospel at an AA meeting? No. Higher power. 
woven in. Is, do lots of people go to AA and, and, and stop drinking? Absolutely. Does that make AA worthless? Of course not. Just don't call it truth, biblical truth. Don't, and, and, and don't think that that's really the big issue, is it? Because is behavior change the goal of the Christian life? No. And we touched on that. We're going to get into that more and more as we look at pain and suffering and trials even more. Because that's not what the Christian life is about. And yet that's what's driving people to go to counselors. Because they think they know it. And within the Christian community, they're just, you know. I want to tell you, I mean, you and, and Phil knows, he's been down at DTS recently. And anybody who's been around there understands there's, you know, this is a big discussion on this issue. Did, does this help a little bit? Did, did this help sort of at least get your minds wrapped around the issue? Because it, this, isn't, this isn't easy. Yes, Steve? Very good thoughts. Is God's word sufficient? Is it really sufficient? Yes. 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 Thank you, Tom. It is then it ought to let us define truth as well, don't you think? If we let it define truth for us, then that helps. That's a good place to start. It ought to define the word counsel for us. It ought to define whatever the word depression is. Hard to find that. It ought to, Scripture ought to tell us. I mean, don't you, Are there unique things going on today that God didn't anticipate? Have we surprised him with our messes today? That when, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Why is counseling developed to be so big? Well, you, 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 that's why counseling isn't a problem in other countries. In third world countries, I mean, there's no therapeutic self-esteem problem. You know, I mean, they're surviving to, to live the next day. You know, nobody's worried about what, you know, you know, behavioral issues of their children that are, I mean, it's just, it, it's, um, I think it's a great question. Part of it relates to what you were teaching a little bit on this whole utility nature of, of, of our worldview today, pragmatism. Um, a lot of it comes started, you can go back to secular humanism and that huge influence in America, um, that, that really turned us inward to be self-absorbed. You can go to the comforts of the world today, of, of the United States. We're just very comfortable uh, society that allows us to have everything we want. And therefore, we're, we, we, you know, as, as Steve has just, I mean, this is this final slide I'll show you, but, but we're so, we're always tugged toward the horizontal. We're always tugged that way here in America. Because we have so much in the horizontal to tug us, whether it's another grandchild to hear about, whether which is wonderful, um, whether it's it's all of our hobbies, our our things that we get to do, our homes, our money, our things, we're tugged that way. We want pleasure, and I don't know who quoted it. It might have been Paul Tripp said, "We are we are consumers of Christ." rather than being consumed by Christ. And so we have a consumerism society today. And gimme, 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 and when we're not getting it, then we want a quick fix, and we want relief from that to get back to our stuff. So one of you said, okay, how do we, how do we engage more? I mean, to, is that okay? I don't know. That's a very brief answer. I mean, I've got... I've got a lengthy thousand-page dissertation on the growth of psychology and Christian counseling that's very good. Um, the guy named Dave Pallison wrote that's enlightening to see how it became so popular. And we're going to talk more about it because these guys, which are my friends up here, much more than them. I have dear friends who are in this world. Um, you know, they're still in this world, though. And, and they have, but they have written a lot on why this has grown so much. They just haven't taken it far enough in their thoughts, and that's why I'm doing this class because I'm, I want to take the discussion a little further. 
So how do we engage with people? Well, when these things come up, we're all, you know, we're all tugged toward the horizontal. We, as, as Robert said earlier, this suke zoe just, I mean, it, it, it's there. Just assume that somebody's moving towards some horizontal solution and assume you are as well. Ask questions. Tom said, well, what do you mean by truth? I mean, how are you defining truth? What's your definition of truth? Then take our discussions to God's word. I mean, as believers, we're going to disagree on things. But man, when you're in the word and talking about it, that's a great place to be. And so the Holy Spirit, now we have a shot at it, don't we? We're in the word. We're like the Bereans. We're wrestling with things. We're sharpening one another. And always pray and trust the Spirit to lead. I'm going to finish by reading, you know these verses from 2 Timothy chapter 2. But I'm going to finish with these verses. This, is, this, should, be our, this should be our spirit. This should be our... Um, I, I'm wanting this to be my spirit. If I sit down with a Dallas Seminary counseling prof, this would be my spirit. I pray it would be my spirit. I pray it would be his too. Um... 2 Timothy 2. Let me start with verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness. Being quiet? No. With gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses. And escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. That's for all of us. This has been a humbling time for me over the last 30 years. It's been humbling in the last 30 days. These things, I keep wrestling with them. And they're not easy. As we talk to me, what is truth? What's the value of what we learn and not learn? And, and how do we... How do we lay this out in a way that's not argumentative, but that moves each other toward God and toward our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ?